Thanks for tuning in to the Custer Gallatin Forest Planning Podcast. I'm Liz Townley, and I'm back here in Bozeman with Pam Novitsky. So Pam, why don't we skip over the introductions today and let's just start with how many people come to the Custer Gallatin for recreation and what does this look like? Well, the Custer Gallatin National Forest, actually, we see just over 3 million visitors every year and we are consistently increasing. Of course, uh, we're on the doorsteps on part of the forest of Yellowstone National Park and the use in the park is just really exploding. Of course, the Custer Gallatin's huge, and not all of forest has that adjacency, but still, uh, we are seeing increased use across much of the forest. Both uh, the Custer Gallatin and really the state of Montana has acknowledged that the rec industry for the state, across all types of land ownership, recreation is now playing a huge role as an economic driver. We also know that many small towns and areas adjacent to the National Forest in those uh, small locations, small town locations, recreation still can be playing a big part of their economy. Okay, so can you talk to me a little bit about the infrastructure and access that exists on the forest? You bet. And, you know, this is interesting. I don't think um, maybe a lot of visitors really recognize what infrastructure and facilities really are contained on National Forest. So first of all, this is a huge area. As a consolidated forest now with the Custer and the Gallatin being joined, uh, we're managing 1,400 miles of an open road system, uh, 85 different bridges across those uh, roads. We have 3,500 miles of trail, both summer and winter trail systems. And so there, uh, 80 major trail bridges, and they're being used by all kinds of recreationists, hikers, horseback riding, bikes, OHV, and, and then, of course, in the winter, snowmobiling. And all of this is how people on really access a national forest is primarily by road or trail system. So we're going to talk about how we are going to administer, how we're going to maintain these facilities, and then really importantly, how to manage these facilities to protect all the various resources, such as fisheries, wildlife, riparian areas, you know, that might have a road or trail system near them. Uh, one thing I'll mention is that we currently do not have any aircraft landing strips on the forest, and the plan um, may be allowing those to start occurring uh, under a permit system. So, Pam, how does the forest balance recreation use across the forest? Well, on a national forest, recreation is one of the components that we're looking at and managing. So we have this uh, dynamic of providing access and public use, but we're also certainly always going to be trying to protect the other resources. And that's what our, um, you know, it's always going to be a challenge. You're managing an area that has a rec emphasis, but we're required and we're seeking to balance that with the protection of wildlife, fisheries, you know, watershed, other resources. So recreation is one of the components that we have to be looking at to manage. And can you touch on this recreation opportunity spectrum? Yeah, and this is a good opportunity to explain it because it's uh, it's really an internal tool that the Forest Service uses. But as you start to read through our forest plan and the draft environmental impact statement, you're going to see this um, discussed a lot. And here's really the idea. So, And it's used across all of the national forest system, not just here. You look at what is the landscape, and there's really a wide spectrum of the kind of recreation use settings. And if you look at that, uh, for instance, at one end, you have primitive. Now, a primitive zone 
might not have any hiking trails. It might have trail signs, uh, certainly no road system. And it's typically one of the most pristine parts of the National Forest. And it's also where people are going for a real high opportunity for solitude, opportunities to be, you know, kind of independent on your own. Um, It's self-directed. You're going to have to uh, visit and know that you're tackling an area that's generally very rugged. And that's the kind of opportunity that you're seeking. And that's what this primitive ROS or recreation opportunity spectrum uh, classification would offer you. So let's just contrast that. And if you jump way to the other end, on some national forests, and actually the Custer Gallatin, we don't we don't have an area that meets this definition, but it's actually called urban. And on those areas of some forests, it's so developed that typically it's just outside of the natural settings. There's a lot of regulations, infrastructure, buildings, pretty high design standards, and that might be occurring on a national forest. Maybe it's a highly uh, visited visitor center, very developed. So the idea that you can go from that most primitive, the next step um, would be something we call semi-primitive non-motorized. And these are areas that we zone that are more than half a mile away from any kind of motorized trail. And they're probably going to offer the kind of opportunity where there's a trail system. There's probably some trail signs, probably some kind of regulations in effect. Uh, For instance, maybe not camping right next to a lakeshore, but it still is in a non-motorized setting. The next step is called semi-primitive motorized, contrasted with semi-primitive non-motorized. And these are areas where there aren't roads, but there's going to be motorized trails. And a visitor that would go there would expect to hear and encounter other people. And they are accepting and fine with the fact that they can hear motorized use near them or it's off maybe in the local vicinity. And it's offering types of challenges that are a little closer maybe to being developed. And that might mean, for instance, that the trail system is very evident. You might have a higher standard bridge, um, things like that. So again, leaving pristine uh, as the one end of the spectrum, we had semi-primitive non-motorized. I just described semi-primitive motorized. And next are areas that are called road and natural. And this is a lot of the forest that you actually see our recreation happening. These are the road corridors where you see trailheads, campgrounds, porta-potties, road signing. It's an area that's directly adjacent to our road system. And people that are staying within that half mile next to the road know that there's going to be probably a facility like picnic tables, campgrounds, a higher level of, um, for instance, patrolling, and maybe they feel safer in those road and natural areas because they're going to be and they expect to be amongst other people. So these are the areas that you're not really expecting solitude. You're expecting kind of a typical Forest Service camping opportunities. And then the other setting, which we do have some, uh, is called rural, and those are areas that are probably accessed from a paved road. They're general pretty close to the communities. You haven't left town too far behind you on the forest. And these developed recreation facilities, if they're there, maybe they're designed for a large group. Uh, Maybe they're large picnic areas. People are using them both as day use and overnight sites. The reason we're explaining this is that the forest has these zones existing from one end of the spectrum to the other. And one's rugged independence, and the other is highly developed. And it's uh, kind of how the we use this recreation opportunity spectrum to describe the kind of settings that are there. And it becomes really valuable for us to say, based on road, trail systems, motorized or not motorized, here are the kind of opportunities that we're offering for someone seeking those types of experiences so they can go off and find those opportunities. So let's get back to the forest plan. 
the amount of land in each of those settings is going to vary by alternative. So when you come to forest planning, one of the things you'll see is we're going to point out which of those zones get uh, have gains or less opportunities depending on the kind of different alternative. And that's the way that we're proposing and contrasting some of the management in those alternatives. So I've described that recreation opportunity spectrum and the settings. And now on top of that, what we really have to emphasize is that we're talking about the whole forest. So recreation has to be integrated with other values. And obviously, wildlife, fisheries, those have standards and guidelines. And what we've tried to do is ensure that recreation is managed in a sustainable manner and that because it's part of a mix of resources that's going to happen, and you'll find us describing that way that the management would occur and ways that we're going to protect the additional resource values. So ultimately, very strongly a goal is that recreation is managed really in cohesion with other resources. And what can the public expect during this upcoming comment period in regards to recreation? Well, when it comes to this topic that I've just been covering, really recreation, facilities, access, uh, the plan we're really describing what is currently here on the forest. Road miles, administrative buildings, the number of recreation-related facilities that we have. And we're describing those with the idea about how we're proposing uh, to manage them in the future. So the plan requires us to look at things that are economically feasible, and that means you're not going to see a hundred of extra uh, trail miles proposing. The plan doesn't get that specific. We're talking about areas where trails or campgrounds might be suitable, but we're really talking about is how we're managing the infrastructure basically that is here now for the next 10 to 15 years. So for instance, if you read the plan, we have some standards that would say our campgrounds infrastructure need to be providing for visitor safety. It says, um, we'll talk about the fact that we need to go in and manage hazard trees before we're going to open up a campground so that we don't have a dangerous situation near those campsites. The plan will talk about goals uh, for trying to maintain the road system and goals also for future partnerships, looking to provide some of the extra future needed recreation capacity the idea being that the Forest Service probably will not be able to provide all the capacity that might be needed in the future. So we're going to look for opportunities for partnerships. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Pam talk about recreation and forest planning. Please keep in mind that the forest has released their draft EIS for public comment. This comment period ends June 6th. And please refer back to episode one with Virginia Kelly for comment guidelines and visit the forest website for more information.